1: You're listening to the Huddle Up! Podcast with Chad Jensen and Zach Kelberman. Join Bronco's Country's deep divers at milehighhuddle.com and sound off. And now it's time to drop some knowledge. Welcome in everybody to the Huddle Up! Podcast presented as always by Mile High Huddle and 24-7 Sports powered by Overtime Media I'm your host, Chad Jensen. With me, as always, is my partner in crime. You know him and love him. Is your Denver Broncos reporter for 24-7 Sports. He is Zach Kelberman. Zach, we're recording this, of course, Wednesday evening, Tuesday. What a scene that unfolded at the stadium as nearly 4,000 Broncos fans descended on the stadium to pay their respects to Pat Bolin and the Bolin family and see that Phenomenal exhibit that the family and the team put together honoring his his accomplishments and memorabilia as Broncos owner.
2: Man, the Broncos went way above and beyond for Pat Bowen. They turned it into a, 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 a museum almost for the, for the owner. And it was, it was so touching and so nice to see all the fans come and, and Joe Ellis to talk – individually with every single fan and shake their hand and hear their story and hear about Pat Bolin and and be able for the fans to give their condolences to the Bolin family. It was just a very well thought out, organized event and it it if there was anything to do Pat Bolin justice, they definitely uh, accomplished their goal. Yeah, tip of the cap
1: to Broncos Country. Obviously a fan base, very very appreciative of the accomplishments of Pat Bolin and what he meant to the city, to the state, to the region, to the entire fan base, because, of course, you don't have to live in Denver to be a member of Broncos country. So what a way to send off Pat Bolin. And it won't be the last time that the team, of course, honors Bolin as the Hall of Fame game's coming up soon. The team's going to wear the uh, Mr. B decal on the helmet throughout the entire 16-game regular season. And then, of course, sometime in October, I can't remember which week now off the top of my head, Bolin and Champ Bailey will be honored at the stadium. I think it's the Tennessee game right? Um, for their induction into the Hall of Fame. So we'll look forward to those events. But today we have a great show planned for you. We're basically going to react to an insane, insane rank incompetence of a video <laughs> and a hot take as it, as it regards your Denver Broncos 2019 prospects. We're going to dive into that here in just a second. First, though, a couple of quick matters of business. You guys make sure you're following the show on Twitter. At Huddle Up Pod. That is the best way to keep your finger on the pulse of what's happening with the show in real time. And if you're on YouTube, great community of listeners there. Make sure you like and always leave us a comment. We want to know what your thoughts are on each and every topic that Zach and I dive into on these podcasts. But it also tells YouTube that it's a compelling, quality piece of content and it puts it out there in front of other like minded Broncos fans like yourselves. And if you're on iTunes, we sure appreciate it if you leave us a creative review and a five star rating. All right, Zach. Let's get into this hot take video put together by Mr. Adam Rank of NFL Network, I guess, NFL Media. He uh, published a uh, a 16-game prediction, a schedule prediction for the Denver Broncos in 2019. And rather than just lay it all out, let me play this quickly for the, the audience. It's about a minute and a half long clip. That way nothing gets lost in translation, Zach, and then we can dissect this thing. Listen to what Adam Rank had to say about your Broncos for 2019. In a
0: league where the coaches are getting younger and the quarterbacks are getting more mobile, the Broncos went out and hired a 60-year-old coach. They brought in the least mobile quarterback in NFL history. Like They brought in a guy who makes Drew Bledsoe look like Randall Cunningham in his prime. So what does that mean for the record? I think there's a lot of talent in Denver. I just don't think it's going to reflect in the standings because there's a lot of tough matchups here. Going to Oakland, I think the Raiders are much improved this season. You're not going to beat the Bears. You're not going to beat the Packers. You're not going to beat the Jags. You're not going to beat the Chargers. You know what? You're going to beat the Titans. I don't think that's too outlandish. You're not going to beat the Chiefs. You're not going to beat the Colts. You're not going to beat the Browns. You're not going to beat the Vikings. I mean, it's the Vikings, but still, like, even they're okay. The Bills are a pretty good team. The Chargers are better than you. You got the Texans. Where do we think? What do we think of the Texans? You know what? I think the Texans get you. The Chiefs are going to get you. The Lions, I'll give you a win of the Lions. Congratulations. You're 2-14. You get the first pick in the draft. At some point, Drew Locke is going to play. You're going to at least see if he is your quarterback of the future. Otherwise, you can use that first overall selection to draft a quarterback. Sorry to be the one to have to bring this bad news to you, Broncos fans. It's just the way the schedule worked out.
1: All right, Zach. So, 2-14, Two and fourteen. All right, two and fourteen. Jeez. Now, the funny thing too is he has the Broncos going. I think one and fourteen. I mean, he doesn't even give them their second win to right. the Detroit game. So, and he waffled on that too. Right. What were your immediate takeaways or, or reaction, I should say, to I,
2: his his hot takes? I mean, it was just like he was. Either he didn't care or he was purposely trolling the Broncos fan by, fan base by saying, oh, lost here, lost, 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 lost. It wasn't even – he didn't even get any sort of analysis, insight, nothing. It was not even his opinion. He was just pressing a button on the screen. I don't know um, what sort of clout he carries in NFL Network, but I know he turned off a, a large, large majority of the Broncos fan base with this take. It's not even accurate at all. I mean if they went 6-10 under Vance Joseph, 5-11, what makes you think – they're going to go 2-14 and 14 with a way better head coach and way better talent and personnel. It's just insane. Even with the, the league's second toughest schedule, which you always talk about, Chad, with the parity in the NFL nowadays, that can change on a week-to-week basis. To say 2-14 and 14 is insane. There, I would bet anything, my life savings, barring a major injury, they would not go 2-14 and 14 this year. The thing that is
1: so frustrating about watching hot take pieces of content like this is that as he goes through, you know, each and every week the Broncos face on the schedule and you you hit the nail on the head, he offers zero analyses for his takes. So Jacksonville rolls around, for example. Oh, not going to beat Jacksonville next. Right, yeah. So, you know, at least if you're going to provide that smoking hot of a take, at least provide some analysis on These games, like he's got the Broncos losing to the Bills, and I understand, Zach. You know, the Bills are a team that, at least the outside perception is that they're a team on the come. You know, they're rising, they're they're growing in terms of their wherewithal as as an NFL team. I get that, you know, but they still haven't accomplished anything, and you're just going to up Bills are on the schedule. Yep, not going to beat them next. He kind of hesitates a little there on the Houston Texans. Like, oh, what do I think of Houston? Oh, yeah, loss. No explanation, though. And so, to, I mean, in all honesty, this is something that Broncos fans should take with the finest grain of salt. The finest grain of salt. And if I were the producer on this show, I would say, you know what, Adam, you got to dig a little bit deeper. This <laughs> because it's one thing to come out and say 2-14, and 14, but give us some compelling reasons why, other than Joe Flacco is immobile and Vic Fangio is 60
2: and I believe he has the Broncos being swept by the Raiders and with conviction, too. There was no doubt about it. I mean, I just don't see how it's going to happen this year. And I wrote about this in a piece, I don't know, a month or so ago, where the national media tends to just look at the Broncos with a very general scope. They see what's happened with Elway's quarterbacking and his roster management. They see what's happened with his, some of his draft classes. They see what's happened in recent years with Keenum and Van Joseph and their record. And that's all they look at. They haven't followed the Broncos like we follow them. The local media follows them, and they know how how much better they should be this year and what a sneaky kind of dark horse they can be in a wide-open AFC it could be. So uh, the, the biggest thing to me, I, there's always going to be these these troll pieces, these hot take pieces, and a dead point in the offseason. It's just for ratings. It's a ratings grab. This guy isn't Rappaport going on there and spouting these things. But to give no insight, no analysis, no nothing to back up your claim, just to press buttons on a screen and get paid for that—it's uh, not going to sit well in most people's books. He's got the Denver
1: Broncos getting swept completely in the AFC West. That's never it's, happened, it's, I don't think—at least not in the history of my, you know, my Ken as a as a fan and as an analyst. I can't ever remember the Denver Broncos not winning a single divisional game in a season, I mean, ever. Even the worst teams I've, I've watched from the Denver Broncos. One thing he gets right here, though, Zach, well, two things. Both the teams that he has the Broncos beating, that's going to happen. However, especially that Tennessee game, which, again, that's going to be the the week that Mr. B and, and Champ Bailey are honored at the stadium, and every time in recent past when those type of events take place at, at uh, Mile High, whether it's honoring the back-to-back Super Bowl champion teams of the 90s or You know, bringing in the different Broncos alumni and the big photo ops at halftime and all that. The Broncos always come out swinging big time and dominate those games. And if you think back, for example, to that game in 2015, in which the Denver Broncos completely laid the smackdown on Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers, holding Aaron Rodgers to the worst performance of his entire future Hall of Fame career, That was a game in which the Broncos honored, the. uh, if I can remember back, the the Super Bowl, the back-to-back teams of the 90s. And that team just played with passion. They were inspired and turned out to be a beatdown. And I foresee that happening again here with Tennessee, even though I think the last time the Broncos faced them, I might be – I might be missing a game here, but it seems like the last time they faced the Tennessee Titans was that game. Trevor Simeon started the Broncos stormed back late in the fourth quarter. Would have won the game, but Benny Fowler dropped that touchdown at the end of the fourth quarter and ended up losing.
2: That was the Harry Douglas I, broad, I believe.
1: That's right. With, that's uh, right.
2: Yeah. That was, that was a fun game to uh, cover that year, but I'm really, you know, I I agree with rank in the sense that they're gonna drop some divisional games. I mean, that's inevitable with the talent in that division. But I'm not scared of some of these teams. He chalks up Green Bay like, oh, gonna good, good to lose to them, gonna to lose to them. Why? I'm not. I mean, Aaron Rodgers, yeah, but they haven't been great the last couple of years. They have a first-time head coach as well. Jacksonville, I'm not scared of Tennessee. Uh the Bills. He writes off. He writes off Denver against the Vikings. I mean, like the Vikings from the powerhouse. There's just no objectivity to it. He obviously has an axe grind with Denver, and whether that's personal or professional, I don't know, but uh, it just there's no credibility in this take, and I advise any Broncos fan not to put a stock into what he says going forward.
1: The other thing that doesn't make sense about this is just a few weeks ago, he had a really nice long-form deep dive analytical article for nfl.com ranked it in which he laid out, I mean, just step by step the different components of this roster set a lot of uh, flattering things about Joe Flacco, for example. And then in this prediction, he he basically belittles him, boils him down to a two. I mean, Joe Flacco has never gone two and 14 as a starting quarterback in the NFL. I mean, it, I, you, got, you got to think of like Joe Flacco. I don't have it pulled up, but for him, I mean, anything sub 500 is, is a bad season. And even the years in which the Baltimore Ravens, the last few years, at, with him as the starting quarterback, failed to qualify for the playoffs... We weren't talking about five and eleven teams, four and twelve teams, you know, two and fourteen teams. These were Baltimore Ravens teams that basically were edged out by one or two games tops from from qualifying for the playoffs. So, just really bizarre. I mean, if you think about the Denver Broncos, and you touched on this, Zach, that just by virtue of the regime change at the coaching level, just by virtue of Vance Joseph's incompetence being gone, Joe Woods' bizarre calls on defense being gone. Um, you know, Carl Dummler talked a lot about this on one of the recent Building the Broncos podcast, but Bill Musgrave on third down calling basically all uh, go routes, even God. if it's third and short. I mean, all these different head-scratching, you know, situational moves and decisions by the coaching staff, that's all going out the window. Now, Vic Fangio, Rich Gangarello, you know, these are all guys that still have to prove themselves in their respective roles now with the Denver Broncos. And And, you know, this is all extremely premature, Zach, and there's no getting around that. Because we haven't even seen them play a preseason game yet. And, you know, I recognize that. But to say that the Broncos under Vic Fangio are gonna lose four games, you know, more basically than they did under the final season of Vance Joseph, like, okay if that's really what you see happening, but give us some kind of backstory. That's about that's about all I have to say on on rank.
2: Yeah, and if he you know, waffled on this and if he was complimentary of the Broncos, maybe he was told to do this kind of uh, troll piece or hit piece against the Broncos. Either way, NFL Network's credibility took a hit with this, and it's a, a channel that I watch all the time and network I watch all the time, but they're going to that Twitter error hot take analysis, and I just don't agree with it. I mean, just give me a reason. 2-14 and 14 is your opinion, like you said, Chad, but just give me a reason as to why he rattles the Broncos off losing like five games in a row. That is not going to happen under Vic Fangio when those, you know, the, the Packers, the Jaguars, the Titans, that's just not going to happen. The Broncos are better than those teams, or at least on paper they are. Yeah, I've been the biggest proponent of wanting to see them play a game first. But even I'm saying, uh, you know, 8-8 eight and eight is my baseline for them, and that's pretty good after the last couple years. But 2-14 and 14 is just ridiculous.
1: Let's feed into the idea that the Broncos are going to struggle a little bit this year, at least like the possibility, the plausible possibility that it could happen. What are some of the reasons, if this team is going to struggle in 2019, Zach, off the top of your head, what are some of the weaknesses you see that perhaps opponents can exploit or biggest question marks for the Broncos heading into this season?
2: Well, taking away injury, I guess. So just, you yeah. know, schematically, yeah. it's it comes down to, you know, the coaching, how everything gels. Fangio still is a rookie coach. Scangarello is a first-time coordinator. Donatello's been in Fangio's shadow. We don't really know how he's an affair in the spotlight here. And also, of course, the quarterback. It all comes down in the end on on the field to the quarterback and Joe Flacco, if they get the last couple years version of him, it's not going to go swimmingly. If they get the 2012, 2013 version, they can go on a playoff run. But I'm not worried about the defense. I'm not worried about Chris Harris or the edge rushers or the, you know, anything there. It's all the offense and you know, the injuries and the chemistry, the coaching and the quarterbacking. If those things come together, and they are big ifs, um, I do like Denver's chances. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's,
1: I mean, four things off the top of my head that I question. So four question marks. One, what version of Joe Flacco or the Broncos going to get? As you say, it comes down to the quarterback. Two can the Broncos' offensive line stay healthy? If so, I think you're going to see good things from the offense. If they struggle with health, there's going to be some question marks. Three, what kind of play caller ultimately is Rich Scangarello going to turn out to be as an offensive coordinator? He's called plays before. So there's question marks there as to what type of coordinator he's going to be, X's and O's acumen. I am optimistic. You know, I'm pretty confident in him just from – what I've read about him, what I've seen people talk about, other players, other coaches. I mean, Kyle Shanahan did not want to let him go, and there's a reason for it beyond just his ability to coach quarterbacks. So that's three. Four is, and it might seem like a small thing, Zach, but the fact that Vic Fangio is going to have to go from calling plays up in the booth and seeing the Ooh, entire field to go calling plays on the sideline, which – you know it's they're going to get five exhibition games hopefully to iron out those kinks but i'm really curious to see how that shakes out and how much it might affect fangio's ability to really in the moment call the right play at the right time be able to see everything and and just have the same type of savvy and knack for the moment that he would have had you know if he were calling plays from the booth
2: yeah we well, you know we all love vic fangio and and rightly so he's been a huge breath of fresh air but we he is still a first time head coach in the NFL, and he has been passed over for opportunities, and this is still a big audition for him, and we don't know yet for sure how he's going to shake out. so that's a really good point there, Chad. You held a gun in my head, though. One thing that is the question mark for the Broncos that's non-injury related, I'm fairly confident in the coaching and everything coming together there. It's just a quarterback. It, like always, like it was last year, it is the same thing this year. If Joe Flacco can be consistent, not even great, just consistently good and solid and reliable, the Broncos can win games. If he goes back into being, you know, hurt or, or being subpar, uh, it's going to be, uh, you know, a backfire. So it, that's the biggest question to me as quarterback.
1: And that's absolutely true. That's the biggest thing because this defense is going to be very, very oh, yeah. good. I mean, this D is going to keep the Broncos in games week in and week out. And so from there, it's just a matter of okay, is he an average quarterback? Is he slightly above average? Is he below average? We don't know yet what version of Joe Flacco we're going to see for the Denver Broncos, but I remain confident just based on his resume and his track record that in those games, when you're getting into the middle of the fourth quarter and it's a single score game, whether the Broncos are trailing or leading, Joe Flacco is one of the quarterbacks who has shown over time, over 10 years of playing in the NFL, that that's typically when he plays his best football as a quarterback. And that bodes well for a team that figures to kind of lead with the defense, lay the smack down. As long as, as long as Flacco and the Broncos can be within a single score of striking distance in the fourth quarter, I think you're going to see the Broncos surprise some people in 2019. But, again, we still have to get to the, to the preseason and at least see for ourselves how some of this, this vision of Vic Fangio and Rich Scangarello, how it's actually going to shake out in reality.
2: But you know what though? It, it, coaching and quarterback can go hand in hand. So if you believe in the Broncos' coaching, then they should hide Flacco's weaknesses and and exploit his strengths. And if they can do that, if they can build off the run game and use his big arm and take advantage of that, they can definitely win this year. So, um, I, you know, the Broncos' coaching is is really in a good place. And hopefully, if Elway's right, the quarterback is too. And if you got it right, then you know the Broncos are sitting pretty for 2019, despite what some you know NFL network analysts are saying.
1: And that's the other thing, too, is people are missing here, too, is Joe Flacco's not going to have to do it all himself on offense. I mean, this is a very talented skill group. You look at the two running backs that are going to be leading the way and Philip Lindsay coming off a of Pro Bowl season, Royce Freeman looking like the truth already. You got if Emmanuel Sanders comes back in relative form, he's still one of the top receivers, let's just say top 15 wide out in the NFL if he's healthy. you got an up-and-coming Cortland Sutton looking to take that next step. Same goes for Deshaun Hamilton, same goes for Tim Patrick, and then at the tight end level, whatever question marks you might have with regard to Jeff Hyreman, Noah Fant is there to stretch the field and offer some twitch, some speed, some athleticism, some playmaking ability inside the numbers that I just think that again, it comes back to Flacco, of course, the offensive line staying healthy, but there's a distinct possibility, Zach, that this offense is going to be one of the, one of the surprise kind of underrated, under the radar components to this team that contributes to them, you know, storming back to relative uh, competitiveness in 2019 after the last three years and really surprising some people.
2: They, they really do have sneaky good potential, and that's why, for me, it all comes down to the injuries, because on every level of that offense, they've had an injury. You know, Flacco's coming off one, the running backs, Sanders in the receiving core, the tight ends, of course, and the offensive line. There's so many different moving parts there and so many different injury-prone players that, by law of average, it says one of them is going to get injured again. But if they can stay lucky and stay healthy, uh, you're right. On paper, it's it's a very sleeper candidate in, you know, in the AFC to put up some numbers, not a lot of people, including you know, Rank, are paying attention to.
1: All right. Well, I think that's given Mr. Rank enough attention for today. And, and the Broncos' blogs, of course, have uh, eviscerated him, and justifiably so. But, uh, but yeah, we'll, we'll go ahead and turn the page. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we have one other topic we want to dive into on today's show. We're going to break down and analyze these six players that Pro Football Focus had graded above the eight 0.0 Mark. We'll get to that in just a second. We'll be right back.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network. All
1: right, Zach. So, Pro Football Focus, I had an article on on Tuesday as as an advanced analytics site, they can be extremely helpful in drilling deeper into the game of football, revealing the nuance. I really like some of their premium stats that can really illuminate some of the, you know, some of those nooks and crannies of the game that turn out to be very important in the grand scheme of things. Their individual player grades, however, at times can be extremely arbitrary. You know, if you're going to grade a player, it's it's and you're going to be objective, it's n- next to impossible if you don't know in any given play what that player's responsibility is. And so in that sense, you kind of have to take the grades with a, plain of, a, a grain of salt, the grades with blah, blah. in that sense, you kind of have to take the grades with a with a grain of salt, but still it's a pretty good like if you go and look at their top grades, Pro Football Focus across the board, for the most part, and there are some outliers, the best players in the league, the grades match up with pro football focus. And so they, have, they, they made a tweet um, early in the week that said the Denver Broncos, if you look at their projected starting lineups for 2019, they have six players who graded at the 80.0 mark or higher. Now, for what that's worth, PFF's grading scale is, is 0 to 100 and 80.0 or higher is considered to them to be high quality. The only tier above that high quality is what they consider elite, and then the tier below 80.0 is considered above average. For the Denver Broncos, there's six players that they have rated 80 or higher, which equals, if you look at it, Zach, 22 starters on offense and defense. It accounts for 27% of the entire starting lineup PFF considers to be high quality or better, and I want to run through these with you. Just real quick, Shelby Harris, PFF, what had rated as the Broncos' highest graded player in 2018. But there should be an asterisk there. He was 90.8 was his grade. But Zach, I think there should be a little bit of an asterisk there because he wasn't a full-time starter.
2: Right. I mean, in the limited opportunities, he showed much better than Domo at nose tackle and even better than Derek Wolf going on their grading scale. Uh, but before we jump into more of them, I think you nailed it when you said it's not really objective, it's subjective. People take pro football focus, and it's a great tool as the end all be all. But it really is just a tool to form your opinion. It's not the the deciding factor. So yeah, when, when in terms of Shelby Harris and everyone else, we have to you know apply that blanket to it. But yeah, for him, uh, he was one of my biggest standouts last year, and I'm not surprised the grade reflects that.
1: What's crazy too about PFF is just when I first started get in this business in media, they were kind of nerdy, you know, you used it as, as a means to kind of deep dive a little bit as a content creator. Their grades were accessible and their premium stats were accessible to everyone from a monetary perspective. It wasn't too expensive. But over the last three or four years, they really picked up steam, uh, received additional financing. It's gotten to a point now where players are getting paid in a very real sense based on how they do it with pro football focus. Now, I won't necessarily say names, but I've had Broncos players who have reached out to me in years past, on social media and dms and texting stuff like that that want to know for example last week's grade well hey well how did i grade out with pff last week because i had a membership they didn't that's how important it's become to them and then we know teams for example have increasingly prioritized the use of advanced analytics pff now works has relationships with actual football teams in the nfl to help with some of these premium stats now grades different the premium stats are what the teams value and they want to know and it kind of helps them shape their x's and o's but that's just kind of an interesting aside the next one they have here of course the next highest is von miller which technically i i view as the highest graded player because he was a full-time starter they had him ranked as 90.3 was his grade and he also has the distinction of being the only player in the pro football focus era to earn eight single season grades above 90 which denotes of course elite status
2: and just think, Vic Fangio thinks he can be better than ever. So that's you know that's downright scary, and he can approach the high 90s in those grades uh, this coming season. So you know I think the best is truly ahead for Vaughn and PFF in their rankings.
1: Next guy here, Chris Harris Jr. Had him graded at 86.1. Of course, he's entering a contract year, but he's coming off another Pro Bowl season at the fourth of his career. So I think playing in Vic Fangio's scheme, there's a chance that he can finish this season as again, one of Pro Football Focus's highest graded cornerbacks,
2: or you know, to play devil's advocate, and he's great and all. Don't get me wrong, but it could go against him considering they have Jackson and Callahan. They could be the beneficiaries if there's you know turnovers or playmaking opportunities, and Harris could see a down you know downturn in the stats. But I still think he'd hover around the high 80s, uh, low 90s, considering his raw talent alone. Next guy here is Philip Lindsay.
1: PFF had him graded last year at 81. Also coming off a Pro Bowl season. He, of course, didn't get to play in the Pro Bowl because of his wrist injury, but he is looking to storm back in year two and prove to the NFL and to all of his doubters out there that it wasn't a fluke season.
2: You know what? In the eyes of every Broncos fan, he got 100 last year. To come back as the sixth-string running back, to make the you know the roster as an undrafted free agent go on to have a Pro Bowl season, and a historic season, you could not ask for more from Phillip Lindsay last year or so. Uh, that's one situation where I think the grade is subjective to what we really saw in the field.
1: Next guy here, Bryce Callahan, whose grade was eighty one point four. Of course, he did not earn that as a Bronco, but he does make this list because he is a projected starter.
2: Yeah, and that's that's good. That was a career year for him in Vic Fangio's defense. So that's one guy where I truly do think you know he hasn't hit his ceiling yet, and I think he will in Denver. And then last guy
1: above eighty is Emmanuel Sanders. He had him they had him graded at eighty-one point one. And I don't think there's any reason other than help to think that he's not going to have a great season in 2019 playing with Joe Flacco, who over the years, you know, he's, he's helped good wide receivers to have solid seasons, you know, whether it's Steve Smith, Anquan Bolden, Torrey Smith at times had good seasons. So I'm curious to see how Sanders, what kind of chemistry he forges with Joe Flacco.
2: Yeah, health willing, he should put up some numbers. But in terms of pro football focus, I think Sutton will finish with a better grade than Emmanuel Sanders. I think he's in for a breakout year, and he'll be the biggest benefactor from that big arm, you know, passing vertical offense.
1: Last one here, and it's an honorable mention because technically, per PFF's subjective grading system, he wasn't at 80. Is Kareem Jackson, who finished with 79.5, which again, you know, it's what probably one play from the entire season separated him in their eyes from being 80 and seventy nine point five, but it a lot depends. Of course, what the Broncos plan on doing with Kareem Jackson is he going to be a safety? Is he going to be a corner? Is he going to do both? Still, I'm pretty optimistic on the type of season he can have, even though he's over the uh, you know the the hill, so to speak. He's over that dreaded thirty mark.
2: Yeah, but that's how you know coaches get more out of players. Former cornerbacks they move to safety, and I think he'll benefit that in that department more so than playing corner. And his numbers will reflect that. I, I believe Pro Football Focus. The, his positive marks last year came from playing safety not corner, so the Broncos uh, will be smart with him and not exploit him.
1: Well, hey, that's going to do it for today's episode of the Huddle Up Podcast. We will, of course, be back tomorrow for a mailbag. VIP, send us your questions on the forums, and for those of you who might not be VIPs but you follow us on Twitter <clears throat> or you listen on YouTube, send us your your questions or whatever topics you want us to dive into, and we will address those on tomorrow's show, on Friday's show. In the meantime, make sure you're following the show on Twitter, at HuddleUpPod. You can find my partner, Zach Kelberman, on Twitter, at Kelberman247, myself, at Chad and Jensen. It's going to be a great uh, weekend. Zach, I know you got some things planned. You can take a little bit of R&R here in the very near future. I am as well. we all got to take a little bit of time to recharge our batteries. But uh, tomorrow, though, we'll finish off this week with a VIP mailbag for Zach Kelberman. I'm Chad Jensen. We'll talk to you then.